0: Would well, be my joy if you would join me in the book of 2 Corinthians. Starting a new letter here at Christ Fellowship was always an exciting time. The book of 2 Corinthians. Hopefully you grabbed a bookmark on your chair when you came in. A bookmark of 2 Corinthians and where we're headed between now and Easter with a short break during the Advent series, but 2 Corinthians, maybe you're unfamiliar with it. I feel like it's maybe the most unfamiliar or one of the most unfamiliar letters in the New Testament. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody preaching or said under someone's preaching through 2 Corinthians. But when you open this letter, you, you start to see that it's the most personal, one of the most heartfelt, emotional letters from the Apostle Paul to a church that he dearly loves. Even in the midst of tension, even in the midst of sorrow and trials, he deeply loves this church and he wants them to learn what he's learned about the gospel. I don't know if you know this either, but 2 Corinthians is not the second letter to the Corinthians. You're like, what? What? What do you say? No, Paul wrote four letters that we know of in. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul writes a letter. He says he wrote a previous letter to address sexual immorality in the church at Corinth. And actually, 1 Corinthians is the second letter that Paul sent along with Timothy to the church at Corinth to address all sorts of mess that was going on in a messy church. Well, in this letter, we find out later that Paul, in between that first letter that must not have been received well, that must not have cleared up some issues, had to make an emergency visit. An emergency visit that didn't go well when he visited Corinth again. And so Paul sent a, what he calls a severe letter. letter, letter that he had to be more severe. And he sent it by the way of Titus. And Titus returns to Paul with this mixed bag of reactions, some godly sorrow, some real repentance, but also some worldly sorrow, some poor response. And so Paul writes this final letter, 2 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. And he writes this letter that that they might experience what he experienced, that they might experience gospel power through human weakness. And that's something that during this series, I pray by God's grace that we all learn more about, that we might all learn not only our own weakness, our own fragility, our own coming up short, what we're incapable of, but, but, that we would learn even more about the power that is found in Jesus. So with that, let's begin our letter to 2 Corinthians. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's go to the Lord of Prayer again. Lord, you are the God of all comfort. That's who you are. You are God, the Father of mercies that that loves to move towards your people in our sin and in our suffering that we might know your heart that we might know your your holy spirit who is the comforter inside us lord that we might be filled even in the midst of all our sorrow with much rejoicing because we have you so lord i pray this morning that that the words we just sang would be the cry of our heart that now and forever we would confess That Christ is our hope in life and death. Lord, comfort your people this morning. Through your word, by the power of your spirit, comfort your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is God doing right now? Have you ever asked that question? It's a question we always often wonder. It's a question that honestly our heart cries out when we're in the valley, when we're facing suffering. Maybe you've been there with me. You get a flat tire. You get into a fight with your spouse. You get hit with a medical bill that you're surprised by. You get hit by a bad report from a doctor. You get blindsided by criticism from the church, from people that you love, that you thought loved you. You get hit by a tornado in your city. You get hit by something your heart could not be prepared for. And so we ask the broken-hearted question, what, what could God possibly be doing right now? What could God possibly be doing right now? See, our greatest temptation when we face success is to forget God. That's your greatest temptation when you face success, is to forget God. But our greatest temptation when we face suffering is to think that God has forgotten about us. It's to think God has forgotten about us. God, clearly, you have forgotten clearly you don't see me. What what we're saying when we ask the question, what is God possibly doing right now? We're saying there is no good purpose for why I'm going through this trial. There's no good reason that I'm facing this loss. I mean, nothing good can come from cancer, right? I mean, I know I sang it as a kid. My God is so good. He's so good. He He loves me so. He cares for me. But right now, what I'm going through, it really doesn't feel like he's that good. I can't see it right now. I can't feel his presence right now. When we're facing suffering, we tend to think things like, my affliction is just a distraction from God's mission." My suffering is an interruption. My suffering is sidelining me from from doing what God really wants to do. My weakness, it's an inconvenience. It's a a liability getting in the way of what God wants to do in my life right now. But, But what if... What if my affliction is not a distraction at all? What if my pain is purposed by a sovereign God? What if if my suffering is not sidelining me from God's will, but, but my suffering is God's will for His greater glory right now? What if my weakness is the way? My weakness is the way that God wants to display his power in my life. See, Paul had to learn these same truths. Paul faced many afflictions. He walked through many trials that we all face, but times like a hundred that we'll learn about as we walk through 2 Corinthians. And Paul, I'm sure, had many Questions, many struggles during his life that we all have in our hearts this morning. That he had to learn that God will meet me there. See, one of the hardships in his relationship with this church in Corinth was their lack of faith that Paul was an apostle. Their lack of faith that Paul was an apostle. There, there were false teachers coming to the church at Corinth that were slandering Paul. They were scoffing, scoffing saying things like, Paul is poor. Paul, Paul is pathetic. Paul, Paul has, he doesn't speak very eloquently. Paul's not very impressive. And on top of all that, Paul is suffering. Which means Jesus couldn't have sent him, wouldn't have sent him, because he's suffering. While these false teachers would tell the church at Corinth, look at our gifts. See how we are prospering. Look at our prosperity and our prosperity gospel. Look at how eloquent we are when we speak as they scoffed at the apostle Paul. So it's not by accident that Paul begins verse 1 by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Paul is saying, I've seen the risen Christ. Not only have I seen the risen Christ, I was sent by the, the risen Christ. This wasn't according to man's will. No man came up with this. This was God's will that I came to you. And the fact that he's suffering, Paul says, doesn't disqualify me from being an apostle. Actually, it qualifies me. It points to the fact, it proves that I am an apostle. Because my pain is not purposeless. My my suffering is not sidelining me. No, Weakness is the way of my Savior. Weakness is the way of the Savior. Listen, as we begin this new letter, this, like I said, unfamiliar letter probably to a lot of us, this most heartfelt and most emotional letter by Paul, I want us, I'm praying that we would experience what Paul experienced. That we would experience gospel power in the midst of our weakness. That that we would learn to believe that no matter what we're going through in our life right now, the one thing that God is not doing is nothing. Like our pain, whatever you're going through, your pain is not purposeless. Your suffering will not sideline you from the mission of God. No, your, your weakness is the way that God wants to use you. It's plan A for how God wants to display his power in and through your life. That you might boast in your weakness because his grace is sufficient for you. You know, John Piper says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. God's doing about 10,000 things purposefully in your life right now, and you might be aware of three of them. So this morning, I want us to think about a couple of things Paul, what God is doing in your suffering. Two of God's purposes in your suffering that should lead our hearts from wondering why and lead our hearts to worship. Here's the first one God comforts us in our suffering so we can comfort others. God comforts us in our suffering so we can comfort others. Listen to how Paul begins the body of his letter. There are there are two letters only in, the, in Paul's letters that start with a blessing. He begins Ephesians with a blessing. Remember, he blesses God for all the spiritual blessings that, we're, that we all receive in Jesus Christ. And he begins this letter with a blessing. He, he blesses God. He blesses God not for his suffering. He blesses God for the comfort That he receives in his suffering. Listen now. he begins in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our affliction. I want your heart to receive this grace this morning. to, To really grasp this truth this morning from God's word. God is the God of all comfort. That means God is the source of all comfort. And the passage says he gives it to you in some afflictions. No, he gives it to you in all your afflictions. God is always aiming to comfort you. God is always aiming to comfort you in all your suffering. God's heart is that he wants you to be comforted. So when you are facing that trial, when you're facing that struggle, and your heart tells you that God has left you all alone, and your heart tells you that God doesn't care, and that God has forgotten you, and that God doesn't see you, and that God doesn't hear you, it's simply not true. It's simply not true, because God's word promises, God's word tells us that he is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all. You might want to underline that word. He comforts us in all our afflictions. We don't always see it, do we? We don't always receive the comfort that he gives us. We don't always want it the way that he gives it to us. But God's heart is always filled with compassion. And it's always moving to show you mercy. That's his promise in his word for his people. But how does he do this? How do we experience God's comfort in our life? Well, there's a few different ways. One one way that he does it is that God comforts us through his word. God comforts us through his word. God has been compassionate to us in speaking his word to us. Think about that. God could have been silent. Nobody made God speak to us. Nobody deserved the grace of God speaking to us, but God, in His compassion, in His compassion, gives us precious promises for our weary heart. I mean, one verse that constantly comes to my mind, that comforts me and gives me peace and the comfort of Christ, is Isaiah 26.3. It's a verse that I think on, that I meditate on that God brings to mind that I pray on and pray for other people when I'm anxious and I'm weary. And it says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. That's a promise of God. You keep him in perfect peace When someone's mind is stayed on you, when he trusts in you, you do that. That's God's precious promise. That's his comfort for my anxious heart. That's his comfort for your weary heart. And and there's a million of those. There's so many of those. If we would just get up in the morning and we would open God's word and we would get on our face before God, what we have waiting for us It's comfort. Comfort from God's Word as He, a holy God, speaks to us. Another way is that God comforts us through prayer, especially through lament, as we learned last week. We just talked about this. Many times we get really miserable in our suffering. We're downcast. We want to despair. And there's a million different places that we could go when we're feeling suffering, when we're feeling lost, when we're feeling anxious, when we're depressed. And sitting in silence will not relieve your suffering that you're facing. Just being consumed by the conflict is not going to relieve your suffering. Or complaining to others. A lot of times we feel like that's going to get relief and so we grumble and complain at work and we grumble and complain to our neighbor and we grumble and complain to our friends and yet that cannot bring the comfort that you need. Neither does try to find, trying to find refuge in your idols. Every idol, every sin is making a profit promise, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I can give you rest. And your idols and your sins cannot deliver what only Jesus can give. And yet we read in 1 Peter 5:7: Cast all your anxieties. Cast all your cares upon him. Upon who? The God of all comfort. Why? Why? Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Not just because he can receive your cares, it's because he wants to receive your cares. It's like the Lord saying, you got two options. You you can continue to try to carry that burden, or I will gladly carry it for you. I will gladly carry it for you. Comfort is found in in prayer when we cast our cares upon the Lord, the God of all comfort, because He loves to bear whatever burden you want to give Him. Another way, though, is that God ultimately comforts us with the gospel, comforts us eternally with the gospel. See, the greatest burden that you'll ever carry in the world. It's not what's going on at your job this week that you came in feeling like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. It's not raising children and that being difficult that's the greatest burden. It's not the bills that are waiting for you at home that are—that that is the greatest burden. No, the greatest burden you'll ever carry is your sin. It's the greatest thing that you'll ever have Resting on your shoulders as you carrying your sin. And it's a burden that only has one relief. I want us all to hear that. It's a burden that only has one relief. The Father of all mercy and God of all comfort provided His one and only Son to relieve you of your sin. Jesus bore our burden up to Calvary. He suffered all alone. He suffered for all your sins, past, present, and future, so that you could receive eternal comfort, eternal peace, eternal forever forgiveness, eternal life, that you live with the God of all comfort forever in glory it's only given through Jesus. You'll either live eternity in misery, in your sin, being punished for your sin, or you can receive comfort forever in Jesus. And in the gospel, not only does the Lord give us Jesus, But the Bible says if we repent and believe, if we trust in Jesus, he also gives us the Holy Spirit. He also gives us his very presence living with us, within us, which Jesus calls, in John, guess what he calls him? The Comforter. The Comforter who has come to dwell and to always comfort his people. I mean, look, at me, look with me at verse 5. I mean, look at the hope, the gospel hope that we have in suffering if we have Jesus. It says this, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. My hope in the gospel, your hope in the gospel, is even if our sufferings continue to increase, So does my comfort in Christ increase. Even if our sufferings increase, so does our comfort in Christ. Listen, life might feel miserable tomorrow, but God's promise in Lamentations is that God has mercies that are new every single morning I love the way William Arnot an 1800 Scottish minister put this gospel truth this is what he said when i weep christ enters by the openings which grief has made into my heart and gently makes it all his own what peace and comfort is there Oh, when I weep, Christ enters by the openings which grief has made into my heart, and he gently makes it his own. He takes up residence in your broken heart, and he fills it with himself. But that's not it. I mean, that's really good. But God gives us comfort in his word, comfort through prayer, comfort through the gospel. But listen, brothers and sisters, God also comforts us with one another. God also comforts us with his people, with the church. That's why we're here this morning. That's one of the main ways that God comforts us. The simple presence of a brother or sister in Christ is a visible sign that God is with us. That right word that's spoken to you when you feel like giving up. That that timely text that the Lord moves in someone's heart to send you a verse, to send you a quote, to point you to a song. That is from God. That, That is God moving in His people to move towards you. And that's a grace that we miss. I mean, listen to 2 Corinthians 7 that we're going to get to in a few weeks. In 2 Corinthians 7, it says this. I'll read the verse right before it. For even when we, became, when we came into Macedonia and our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without fear, with fighting without and fear within. You see, he's a mess. And listen to this. But God... Who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Oh, how beautiful a verse is that. God, who is the one who comforts the downcast, guess what he did? He comforted us by sending Titus to us. I was listening to an interview the other day with Andrew Peterson, one of my favorite songwriters. He wrote behold the lamb of god which is one of the most beautiful movements of music to about the gospel and christmas time. He was talking in this interview about facing depression for like 3 years of his life. Feeling crippled, overwhelmed by depression for 3 years in his life. And he said, but one of the things I remember in those three years is how my wife would come up to me when I couldn't even raise my head, sitting on the couch, when I couldn't move. And she would say, look at me. Look at me. And he said, she would kiss me on the forehead and say, something good is coming. Something good is coming. That's a a wife who knew the gospel. That's a wife who knows the end of the story and who God moves with compassion to show the compassion of his Christ to His her husband. What I want us to get this morning is that God doesn't comfort you so that it'll end with you. God doesn't comfort you in all your affliction so that you can grow comfortable, so that you can grow complacent. No, God brings pain into your life and gives comfort to your heart for a reason. I mean, look at verse 3 and 4 again with me. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that... You might say that so that you can say that, underline it, circle it, highlight it, so that why? Why does he do this? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He does it, he meets us in our pain so we might give peace to others. Doesn't that radically change how we suffer? How we see our suffering, how we walk in our suffering, how we walk out the other side? Brother and sister, the the comfort of Christ that you experienced in that loss of a friend, it isn't supposed to end with you. The, The peace that God gave you when you felt like you lost everything. That wasn't supposed to stop in your heart. The compassion of God, the compassion that God showed you when you were mistreated by people that loved you. Others need to experience that same compassion. Most importantly, the comfort of Christ that relieved you from all your sins. In the gospel should not end with you. How can we keep that gospel comfort to ourselves when others are miserable in their sin? On May 16th, 2023, Lauren Marr was traveling home for work on the Nature Parkway when a car crossed over a median and tragically struck her car. And she would later pass at the medical center here in Bowling Green. When, when something like that happens, where would her parents turn to find comfort? Like where, were, where would her one-year-old daughter grow up to know the peace that passes all understanding? Well, by God's grace, Lauren and her family are all members of Forest Forest Park Baptist Church. Where in God's providence, a pastor named Joe Starks and his wife Katie Starks began serving in the fall. Who know exactly what it's like to lose a little girl tragically. God in his providence has them there. And God has bound their hearts together. That they would be able to, to comfort those in their affliction with the same comfort that they received by the God of all comfort. Think about this this morning. God isn't just not forgetting you and your suffering. He's not forgetting others too. He's not forgetting others too in your suffering. I mean, verse 6 says it clearly. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. All this is is not just for my sake. I mean, we get so self-absorbed. We get so self-centered in our suffering. Why is God forgetting me? Why does God not care about me? Or if he delivers us, look at what God did for me. When God doesn't want our suffering to make us more self-centered, he wants to make us more selfless. And how we move towards others with his grace, with his comfort. So, So how are you stewarding your suffering for the good of others? Power others, experiencing the peace of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the comfort and the mercy of Jesus that you received when you were in your suffering. Second and short, God humbles us in our suffering, so we will hope in Him. God humbles us in our suffering, so we will hope when him. Paul turns to talking about his personal suffering that he faced while living in Ephesus And he talks about his suffering In the most vivid ways look at verse eight for we do not want you to be unaware brothers Of the affliction we experienced in asia for we were so utterly burdened weighed down beyond our strength That we despaired of life itself. He's saying we were weighed down. We wanted to give up We wanted life to be over Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Have you ever been there? Some of us probably feel that way this morning. With way less sufferings maybe than Paul, who was later we'll find out beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and left for dead. Some of us know what it's like to feel weighed down, to feel the world is on your shoulders. Some of us know what it's like to want to give up, to want it it all to be over, to cry out, how long, oh Lord? But it doesn't take persecution to get you there. All it takes is for your problem to grow bigger than your power. For your problem to go to grow too big for you, and your heart overflows saying, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. But that's the purpose of the pain. That's the purpose of the suffering for Paul, a purpose for our overwhelming suffering. Look at verse 9. He says, Indeed, we have felt that we had received the sentence of death, but... That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Listen, one of the main purposes from God in your suffering is to strip you away from all self-reliance. God is wanting you Not to rely on yourself, but for you to rely completely on Him. God is is wanting to strip you of trusting in yourself so you'll fully trust in Him. So you'll collapse all trust, all the weight of your heart on Him. Listen, it's a gift when your hope in yourself is dead. It's a gift when your hope in anyone else, in anything else is dead, and your only hope is in the one who can raise the dead. It's a grace when in the midst of your struggle, you despair of life itself. That's a gift because it drives you to cry out for resurrection. For resurrection hope in Jesus. The problem is, is that we don't think we need God. That's a real problem in the American church. In the American church, God is a nice accessory, but he's not a necessity. God is a nice accessory, but he's not a necessity for our lives. The problem is, is that that we see ourselves as self-sufficient. And so, so we never pray. We never turn to the Lord. The problem is, is that we, we think that we're enough. And so we don't rely on God. But more than that, we want others to rely on us. We want to be God for them. The, the problem is, is that we think we're extraordinary. When all God has made us is just extraordinary. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that, that God made you ordinary for a reason? He made you ordinary for a reason. Like, think about it. In the garden, before the fall, before sin corrupted the world, Adam and Eve were gloriously ordinary. Do you ever think about that? They were gloriously ordinary. God created us to be ordinary, to be completely dependent on him, not independent from him. God God created us so that we would not rely on ourselves, but rely on him. The one who can raise the dead. Remember, it was actually the desire to be extraordinary, to To be God that got us in this mess to begin with. You remember what the devil told Adam and Eve? God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And you'll be like God. You'll be extraordinary. You'll be enough. You'll be self-sufficient. You'll be like God. And we've been trying to be extraordinary. We've been trying to be little self sovereigns. We've been trying to be in control. We've been trying to be God ever since. But isn't it amazing grace that God would give his one and only son to, re- to reverse this reliance on self? An amazing grace that, that it would take the death of Jesus and God raising him from the dead to rescue us from relying on ourselves and turn us back to relying completely on him. That's what God's doing in the gospel. Yes, he's forgiving us of all our sins, but yes, he's delivering us from all self reliance, all self sufficiency. All the lies that tell you that you are enough without Him. Paul Tripp says the purpose of the cross is to completely decimate your loyalty to the most powerful of idols, the idol of self. To decimate your loyalty to the most powerful idol, the idol of self. And Paul gets it, and I pray we get it this this morning, that God does that in the gospel, but God does that also in every trial. When we share in the sufferings of Christ, it strips us of us. Praise the Lord. That's good news. That might not sound like good news, but that's the best news for you today that God would strip you of you and give you more of himself. God will do whatever it takes. He will send his one and only son or he will purpose your suffering to deliver you from you. Everything he's doing is aiming to empty you of your hope in yourself and fill you. With complete hope in him. That's why Paul says in verse 10, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Paul has been emptied of hope in Himself, but He hasn't been left hopeless. He's been filled with complete hope in the Lord. That that he would now sing hallelujah. Now and forever I confess Christ is my hope in life and death. Now and ever I'll confess. Now and every second I'll confess Christ my hope in life and death. Suffering is pretty sobering, isn't it? It's it's sobering. It humbles us. And the older I get, the more I lose hope in myself. Hope in my gifts, hope in my abilities, hope in my strength, hope in my enoughness as a father. I'm just stripped constantly of being enough. I told Kaylin last night we were eating dinner. I said, I used to drive by Kariakas or Covington Park, and I would see people playing basketball, and I'd be like, man, I got to get out there. I got to get out there. I could go two hours. I could stay on the court the whole night. Now I just look over there and say, man, that looks really dangerous. That looks really dangerous. And it's because of this grace called life. It's called this, this grace called suffering, this grace called God's humbling in our lives. Where we lose more and more hope in ourselves. More and more hope in our gifts. More and more hope in our power. But at the same time, God fills us with complete hope in himself. So that we might know not our power, but gospel power through our weakness. And so... I think the best way to close this sermon is to close in the way that Paul starts this letter. Bless the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and God of all comforts. That he would comfort us in our affliction so that we could comfort others. And bless the God of all comfort that would rescue us from ourselves. Rescue us from relying on ourselves so that we could collapse all our hope and trust in him and him alone. Let's pray together. Lord, oh, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would continue to comfort your people in this moment, Lord, that you would draw near to your people, that, that even in this moment, Lord, you would be emptying us of ourselves and filling us with hope in you. And that, Lord, you would be comforting us in our suffering, not so that we can be complacent or comfortable in the peace, but, Lord, so that we might comfort others in their affliction. So Father, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, comfort us with the goodness of Jesus. Comfort us with the presence of the Comforter, your Holy Spirit, not only for our good, not only for our joy, but for the good and the joy of those who don't know you, Lord, and for the good and joy of those in this room. But more than anything, Lord, for the glory of your name, who is worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.